and welcome to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, where we explore God's Word, not simply to learn more about the Bible, but to consider how to apply its wisdom. I'm your host, Svea Mary, and each week I'm joined by talented women from our congregation. We invite you to imagine yourself sitting here with us, enjoying a great discussion as friends about God and how His Word helps us take our next steps to become the women God intends for us to be. Welcome to week three of our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In our first two weeks, we saw the amazing work of the Trinity in our salvation, how each person of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all play a synergistic role. God the Father chooses us for His family, Christ the Son reconciles us to Him, and the Spirit guarantees our future in God. Last week, we continued with Paul's beautiful prayer at the end of chapter 1, reminding us of the hope to which we are called. And then we celebrated the first half of chapter 2, some of the best verses in all of Scripture about our salvation, that we are saved by God's grace. And today, we're going to continue on with chapter two in the second half, and I am so pleased to have Angie Pankratz here in the studio with me. Angie, welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be back, Savea. Yeah, it's, it's been a while since you and I got to do this together, <laughs> know, so I've been looking great. forward to reconnecting this way. Um, Angie, I thought, uh, let's start off by reading today's passage. We're looking at chapter two, verses 11 through 22. Do you want to do that for us? Let's do it. All right, starting with 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself self is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Thanks, Angie. Yeah. Um, Can I be totally honest with you about something? (laughs) For sure, because I'll be totally honest with you about something as well. Yes, I I know you will be. yeah, I love all scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about scripture. I'm passionate about wanting to communicate it to other right. people. But there are just some passages that sometimes they're a little harder to connect right. with. And any passage that starts off with circumcision, oh, I God. usually That's find exactly it. what I was going to say. I kind of become like this middle school girl when we start talking about circumcision, uncircumcision, and blood. And I'm wondering, why didn't you have Stephen here, a physician, <laughs> talking about these procedures? It's just a little bit much for me. But it's important, right? 
It is important. And and so here's the honest part of it. When I first started studying this passage, I was struggling a bit to connect with this one, especially after the first oh. two weeks where there's such beautiful scripture. I mean, Paul's prayer in yep. chapter one just you know, lends itself to worship. <laughs> and uh, and the great verses in the first half of two about being saved by grace I and know, this free gift I know, of God. I know, this is a little bit of a <laughs> harder pill to swallow. It was. Um, but here's a beautiful thing. So mm-hmm. as I was studying that, I was praying and just asking God, help me to see your message mm-hmm. in this chapter. I really, I want to connect with this mm-hmm. and I don't want to miss the treasures that are mm-hmm. here. And uh, and I started praying that prayer in chapter one about the eyes of our heart being enlightened by the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation and the knowledge of God. And it was really a cool thing that as the more I studied it, the more I felt like things were being unlocked here. Right. And I gained a lot of joy and passion for this passage too, maybe even more so than the previous two. Oh, good. Yeah, I feel the same way. I did at first feel like I drew the short straw when it comes to passages (laughs) in chapter two. But I also understand that, you know, he starts out in chapter two. There's so many verses there that I've memorized because they're just so pivotal to our faith. When he's talking about how God reconciled us to himself. Mm -hmm. And that is so foundational. But now he's moving on talking about how that impacts our relationship to other believers Mm -hmm. and even those whom we might consider outsiders. But because of what Christ has done for us, it should change how we interact with them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I think that's such a great way for us to to give a framework for Mm -hmm. this second half. If the first half of chapter two was all about that vertical relationship of God's grace saving Mm -hmm. us, this is that horizontal relationship of seeing what that means for us as we live in community. Um, specifically with other believers, but even just in our approach to how we extend grace to other people because of the grace that's been given to us. Exactly. That's huge. And I know a lot of people are quoting these days, I don't know if it's true or not, but that the church has never been more divided. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true or not, but there may not be a better time to have a message about reconciliation and just reaching out in love and charity to other believers who we may not agree on the non-essentials, I'm sure on the essentials that there's complete unity, but to also extend grace on those areas where they may not be totally essential. Because I imagine that when Paul was writing this, there was definitely some division between Gentile and Jewish converts. Yeah. Oh, I've got some good quotes for you here in a minute. But I think maybe in light of what we're just expressing in the the, acknowledging that maybe this passage isn't quite as immediately accessible as some of the other ones that we've studied. Um, would it be okay with you if I broke our typical format and actually pray now rather than at the end of this? Always, for sure. Okay, let's do that. Um, dear Father, I just thank you for revealing yourself and your heart for us in your word. Um, I thank you for the experience that I've had over this past period of time studying this passage. Uh, just Having, like we prayed Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God would enlighten the eyes of my heart, enlighten the eyes of all of our hearts as we study so that we would know the hope to which you have called us. I pray that you would do that for everyone listening right now, that you would help us to see the beauty and the truth of your word and how this isn't just words that Paul wrote specifically to the church in Ephesus, but that these are words that do continue to have meaning for us today. And so as we think for the next uh, bit of time here, 
about what it means because of your grace Mm -hmm. to live in unity with our brothers and sisters um, as this new entity in the church. I pray that you would help us to see that faithfully and accurately, and even more importantly, to take what we study in your word and apply it in a way that honors and pleases you. In Christ's name, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's dig in. You've given us a little bit of context already about the idea that the first half of chapter two was the relationship of God saving us Mm -hmm. through his grace, and now the second half Mm -hmm. is more about how we're reconciling uh, relationships with people around us. Anything more that you'd like to say about the context and and format of of this section? You know, I think I might always refer back to that first half of chapter two because it seems like these are so closely related and connected. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. One one obvious thing that we can kind of see has how both of them start off by pointing to what we once were, the mm-hmm. hopeless state that we were in mm-hmm. before Christ, um, both in the beginning of the first half of chapter mm-hmm. two and now in the second half. Mm-hmm. Before Christ, we were dead, we were hopeless, we were mm-hmm. without Christ, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And it's Christ that makes the difference. Right. And at first when I read that, I thought, wow, Paul is being a little harsh. Like, remember that formerly you were dead. You were kind of pathetic. You were without hope. But I think there's something to be said about just never forgetting about what Christ has saved you from. Yeah. Because there are no exalted Christians. And I always... I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard of like these millionaires and these billionaires who they never like... Um, forget that first paycheck and maybe they like Mm. frame it and they just always want to remember from what they came from. Mm. And even though that's such a minor comparison, um, I think it's similar to we as believers, once we um, maybe consider ourselves further along in the journey, we can't forget that we were also dead in our sins at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's easier for those of us that didn't necessarily grow up in the faith, in the church from mm-hmm. childhood, who can point to life before Christ right, being right. different than life after Christ. It's not like, oh, I used to not share my crayons or <laughs> <laughs> I used to have temper tantrums. There's something to be said for that. Yeah. Well, Angie, you're the one who uh, I always think of when I see a passage that begins with therefore. I know you've always, you've often used that phrase, If whenever you see a therefore, it's important to know what it's there for. Exactly. <laughs> for sure. And that is this. And I think you're right on when you say Mm -hmm. that Paul very much intends this passage to be completely built on what we had um, had Mm -hmm. seen before. Just this idea that our individual salvation has a corporate or a social or a relational application here Mm -hmm. is really important. How God saves the individual leads into what it means for a larger circle of all of our relationships. Absolutely. And you know, when I was first reading this uncircumcision and circumcision, I wanted to kind of hash out and almost make a chart of what it meant for Jewish believers versus Gentile believers. Mm. Like when I was looking back in the Old Testament, it might be smart, maybe other people are struggling with that, because I sometimes struggle with that as well, to understand in the Old Testament, there was a plan for Gentiles. It wasn't that they were never allowed to be converts, but Mm -hmm. they had to do it through the law and almost becoming like a Jew Mm -hmm. and to worship Jehovah God. Mm -hmm. And there was still a difference between Jewish converts and Gentile converts in the temple. They couldn't even go in as far as the Jewish converts. And so there was definitely a separation. There was a plan of salvation for them, but it was different before Christ's death. Yeah, they had to become like a Jew Mm -hmm. in order 
to be accepted as part of God's people. And Jesus changed that, and thank heavens <laughs> that he did for uh, for a, a myriad of reasons. One of which, though, that I, I'd love to highlight right now is just the division that there was between Jew and Gentile. Um, I had never realized until reading some of the commentaries on this specific passage how vitriolic the hate could be between Jew and Gentile, uh, and that Jews would use, as we see in, in verse 11 here, they would use this idea of circumcision as a I'm going to say this Power carefully, trip. but as I was going to say, as a weapon <laughs> against Gentiles, it was a it was a physical way of identifying themselves mm-hmm. in a way that they could point to other people and say, "You're not one of us." Wow, and just a tangible way in the flesh. Now, an interesting aspect of of identifying people by something physical is that that's not something of God. Is it? It's something that people do. Mm -hmm. It's a work of the flesh rather than Mm -hmm. a specific work of God. So it's a beautiful thing that that was um, served a purpose for a time, but not a permanent purpose. Right. So when they say the church has never been divided than it is now, when they're talking about 2021 or 2022, that is not true. <laughs> if you think back to the way it was in the New Testament. So there is more than a tension there. We, we talked about that a little bit in mm-hmm. the Roman study, and, and we're going to see that more and more. But I came across this quote in a commentary from John Stott that was describing the level of tension, if not hatred, between Jews and Gentiles. Listen to some of this. He says, the Jews had an immense contempt for Gentiles. Gentiles, Mm -hmm. said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all Mm -hmm. the nations he made. It wasn't even lawful to help a Gentile mother in her hour of need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl would be carried out before the wedding. Such a contract with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Wow. So can you imagine now these people are all in church together? That's crazy. You know what else that makes me think of? It's just how powerful that was that there were Gentile converts in the line of Jesus, in the lineage of Jesus, Mm. you know, just that, that that was... Who were um, willing to cross that barrier. What that exemplified to those who were Gentile converts. Yeah. In a time when it was so divisive. Let's keep going with this passage, though, because now as we see the, the hopeless state that they were in, the problems that they had, verse 13 says, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made these two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Interesting that the idea of circumcision was this this icon of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And yet now Christ is saying, I've removed the barriers. Mm-hmm. I've destroyed it in my mm-hmm. flesh. Mm-hmm. I think that's I also, more than just beautiful writing. I agree. I agree. And I also think it's interesting that Paul, who is considered a student of the law, an expert of the law, and um, a Jew of all Jews, would communicate this message of love and grace to a Gentile church. 
Mm-hmm. That was mostly, wouldn't you say they were mostly converts um, that were Gentile converts? Yeah, I think Paul is writing to both Jews and Gentiles, but there's probably a heavier audience of Gentiles mm-hmm. that uh, that are receiving this message. But it's only because of Christ's peace that that's possible, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Christ's peace, because peace is a word that comes out in this uh, this middle of the section quite a bit. I think it appears four times in two verses Mm -hmm. uh, where we see Christ is our peace in verse 14, Mm -hmm. uh, that he was making peace and uh, that he came to preach peace in verse 17 to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. I love that idea of Christ as our peace. That makes us peacemakers. As ambassadors of Christ, I think we should be known as being peacemakers and not division makers. And we should be those conduits of reconciliation. Absolutely. Um, I was trying to study a little bit more about what it means to be Mm -hmm. peace or to preach peace or or to act on that peace. Uh, One of the, the definitions that I had in uh, in one of my Bible dictionaries was explaining that to be peace is someone who's much more than just friendly. This is the idea of being harmonious in all of your relationships, whether it's Mm -hmm. harmony with God or harmony with other people or maybe Mm -hmm. harmony among nations. It also has the connotation of freedom from attack. You're at peace. You're not worried about uh, where Mm. the next attack is coming from. It's a sense of order and also a sense of rest and contentment. I think it's beautiful that we can see Jesus as someone who modeled all of that for us. He Mm -hmm. was obviously friendly, but he was a person of harmony, of order, of freedom from attack, Mm. and a model of contentment Mm -hmm. in God. And and he's calling us to establish those things in the relationships we have around us and to be those things too. I agree. Mm. That's powerful when you think about that we were aliens and strangers of God, and he reconciled us to himself and brought peace And then I was thinking of that verse in Hebrews 12, that we are to make every effort to live in peace with others. And if we've received the peace of God within us, then that should be our natural response to that. Mm -hmm. Let's transition to the final verses of this chapter. We see that not only is Christ our peace and that he came to preach peace to us so that we may live in peace with everyone who believes, he called us to do this as the very dwelling place of God, his holy Mm -hmm. temple. Um, maybe let's let's refresh it. It's been a while since we read these verses. These final verses, starting in 19, say, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Mm. I really like this idea that not only are we a new people as, in Paul's context, Jews and Gentiles, but we can extend that now to being everyone who believes that Mm -hmm. that's, that's broken down racial barriers, it's broken down barriers of tradition, Mm -hmm. barriers of the way that we practice our church practices. We are united as those Mm -hmm. who have been saved by grace 
and are in mm-hmm. God's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to hang on to that for a little bit mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing. But to even then take that in the context of these final verses, that this is the way that God is choosing to build his church, the the next generation of his holy temple, mm-hmm. that we are God's dwelling place as those who believe is just incredible. That is incredible. We are the living church. And when he uses these temple terms, I think that was really meaningful for them because they had something visually that they would think of when they thought of the temple and to think of themselves, one body, one family, when he says members of the same household, being the temple was pretty transformative, I'm sure, for Jews and Gentiles to think of themselves in that way. Yeah, for the Jews and and maybe some of the Gentiles that were familiar with the temple, they knew there were certain areas where Gentiles were forbidden Mm -hmm. from entering. And and at Christ's death, when that curtain was torn, torn, you know, all, all those barriers for people who believed in Christ were taken away. Um, Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in continued Jewish practice, but for the people that became the new church, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the followers of Christ, those divisions didn't need to be there. I have had that experience, Savea, when I've traveled overseas. I've been in a couple different countries like Bulgaria and Sweden and Norway, where you don't share the same language as people. But when you are with other believers and you have that bond you, they they are like family. You've mm. never met them before. You may never see them again, but there is that eternal bond between uh, myself and other believers that I've interacted with or been to their church. It's so special, and it's just true that we are one body. Um, mm-hmm. We are united by something far greater mm-hmm. than the human divisions that we set up for ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's worth asking ourselves then as an application to this passage, how are we doing with that? Mm. Are, are if, if we are those people who have been saved by grace, have are the most blessed recipients of any gift that could be given to us mm-hmm. for God to choose us to be part of his family, and then we are compelled by that to live mm-hmm. that out in love and in peace and in harmony and in grace shown to others. If we were that metaphorical church are is our life reflective of the kind of church you would invite someone mm-hmm. to come and see mm-hmm. or bringing it down even am i reflective of that to think about brothers and sisters in one body who you know after having a lot of family time recently <laughs> you know that you know kids or children can be so different and yet there's a love and a bond between them where we would ache if our sisters or our brothers are hurting and we would rejoice with them if something great is going on. And that is what the body of Christ really should be about. Mm-hmm. You know, just again, reflecting on this passage as a whole, we see that the incredible grace of God does three distinct, but but even kind of complementary things for us. We, we've talked a little bit about the idea that racially it's broken down any barriers, mm. and for them, the Jew and Gentile barrier, but that extends to any racial barriers mm. we continue to wrestle with today. Mm-hmm. We are all equally welcomed mm-hmm. as believers, as people of God's family, as full members. Mm-hmm. Uh, relationally, then, it kind of flows from that. We're all part of this new family mm-hmm. together. And spiritually, we experience a new way of dwelling with God. We don't have to go to a temple or a specific place. And I think that's 
um, never been more apparent to us in the pandemic era mm-hmm. that we've lived in. And mm-hmm. uh, for many of us, we went for weeks, maybe months, mm-hmm. maybe some people even years now right. without actually being physically in the building right. of a church. Uh, but uh, but we've all had this time to explore that question of what is the church? Right. And what is our relationship with God like mm-hmm. when it's not defined by a brick and mortar building? We've always known it. We've always known that the church is not a building, but it has been become reality in the last couple of years. Yeah. And and this passage, I think, is a good reminder for us that God's design was for us to be saved by him mm-hmm. and to live out this, this sense of peace and harmony and community with our fellow believers. The rest of the letter to the Ephesians is going to go even more practical mm-hmm. and deep on this mm-hmm. topic of living in un- unity with fellow believers. So if you don't feel like you're grasping it entirely yet, uh, just stick with it because we're going to get even more. Uh, and I love that Paul inspires us to ask this question of what it looks like to live as God's dwelling place, as his temple, as we're in this new entity, as the people of God. Couldn't agree more. Well, keep back with us. I uh, I look forward to talking with you again in the future, Angie, and uh, appreciate your going deep into this passage with me today. Loved it. Thanks so much, Savea. Thank you for listening to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, a production of Autumn Ridge Church. We appreciate the technical assistance provided by Josiah Novinger, Ian Benoit, Robert Nash, and others from our wonderful staff. We'd love to hear your comments or questions on this or any other episode, and you could reach us at women at autumnridgechurch.org.